Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. All right, ready? No! Three, two... Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice San Diego. I'm joined as always by Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice San Diego. What's up, Andy? Pal, how are you? Fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Viafania. What's up, Lopez? What's up, Lewis? How much? It is still election week. We are still digesting everything that happened and what we don't know. We have a little more clarity on what actually did happen. But there are several things still unresolved. Some races are closer than they were Tuesday night. Some are less. One flipped. All of this brings the region's politics a little bit clearer as we try to figure out what's coming in the years to come. As ever, things will change. We're recording this show Thursday afternoon, November 10th. So there's a count coming out at 5 p.m. So everything we say here could be, uh, you know, made moot by what happens at five in a couple the, hours. The way the schedule works, I would say, is not ideal for not ideal. the schedule for our show. Right. But we have we can make things up. And you know what? We can always say we were wrong later, which is what we're going to start with. We should start there. Stay with us. All right. Let's start here. The San Diego County Registrar of Voters says that there are 500,000 votes in San Diego County left to count. Mm -hmm. Slightly more than half of the votes cast have been counted and are reflected in the vote total. So they are a very good statistical sample of votes, Mm -hmm. but with the races that are really close can still change. Right. So... I, one confusion I've heard now twice yeah. is the, the little percentage next to the votes. Yes. That percentage refers to turnout out of what has been counted thus far. Yeah. Which will go up as more are counted. Right. It so does if, not refer 
to the percent of votes that have been counted, which many people have mistakenly thought it was. Right. If you go to stvote.com and you go to the results page, it'll say 29% turnout on the side. That is just a function of the number of votes they have counted divided by the number of registered voters in the county. They say there's 500,000 more votes left to count. So if you add those up together and do the division again, you would get to about 50 to 60% turnout in this election, which would be pretty high for a mid-term election. Mm -hmm. But, But that percentage does not refer to the percent of votes counted. And in fact... So we're we're at like about half of votes counted, right? Which means there's much less ground to make up than if you thought we have counted twenty nine percent of the votes. Oh, so, I see how people could be. Yes, confused. yeah. So people are like, well, they've only counted thirty percent of the vote, and it's yeah, been like, like three chill. days. No, no, no. no Stop calling it voices you need. <laughs> it's yeah. it's still a, it's still a lot of votes to count, not quite that much. Now, just to be clear, the votes that have been counted so far. Mm-hmm. Are votes that were sent in before the day before election day. So if you voted weeks ago and it, it went in, or if you voted and you got it in before the election day itself, it was counted and released at 8 p.m. that night. And then the votes that were released on top of that were votes that were cast at the big vote centers during the day at election day. The rest of the votes, the rest of the 500,000 estimated votes to be counted were sent in and arrived on election day or up to seven days after election day. So if you put your ballot in the, in the mail on election day and it got postmarked that day or the day before, they have up to seven days to make sure that it gets to the, the registrar voters so that it can be counted. So that's, I, a lot of people are like, we're the most you know richest country in the world. Why do we have such you know, incompetent vote counting system. It's not that they're incompetent. These are deliberate policies and rules for how things go that they've put in place that make it take this long. They've said, we can't, we're not even going to get close to certifying it until uh, we know have, we have all the votes in place. And we're not going to even have those until seven days after the election. So, there's a now they could probably speed it up again. Those are all policy and procedure decisions that they would have to make along the way. Got it? Yes. Now let me just add that the it's important to know which types of votes have been counted and which types of votes are outstanding because the people who work on these campaigns have gleaned over a number of years and research in knowing that people who vote in different ways and at different times vote differently. They they are different types of people. Um, so for instance, the later you vote, you will tend to be more likely be a renter rather than a single fam- somebody who lives in a single family home you, or uh, a homeowner, I should say. Mm-hmm. You are more likely to live in an apartment than a single family home. You are more likely to be somebody who moves around a lot because you're a renter as opposed to somebody who's lived in the same place for a long time. All of these things can mean that the late arriving votes that are to be counted still could have breakdown in an election differently than the ones that have been counted thus far. Yeah. So all that said, everybody good on that? We're good. A lot of things changed from our pod on election night. And the first one I want to highlight. The latest night ever. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm that, still I'm still recovering. I'm still I'm still sleepy. At, <laughs> at 11:30 p.m. <laughs> Those were dark days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the one that changed the most dramatically from our first take on it on election night. This is the 49th congressional district. Mike Levin, the incumbent Democrat, uh, member President Biden flew in town. They were uh, concerned, panicked, if you will, about how he would do in this race uh, as they tried to protect uh, their chances to hold on to the House of Representatives. This is the Democrats were talking about Brian Marriott, who ran against him last time and didn't come that close, did come pretty close after Orange County started reporting its results. So Mike Levin had done quite well in the vote in San Diego County, but when Orange County came in, it is now at 51.1% for Mike Levin and 48.9% for Brian Marriott. So this is tight, tight, tight. Lots of uh, movement could still come depending on where the votes are outstanding. We are seeing a difference of about 3,800 votes out of more than 170,000 cast. So um, our whole thing about being like, well, maybe you know, Biden. forgive us for thinking <laughs> that this was close. We Biden came out here. He just wanted to enjoy San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to forgive us at all. It was close. It, it, was, <laughs> it was very close. It was, it was not it's extremely dumb, close. <laughs> yeah. And so everybody forgive us now for thinking Tuesday that we needed forgiveness. That part was wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, by the way, 2012, when Scott Peters won that congressional that race. That was a fascinating one. That and, took and that, forever. That took weeks for him to catch up and overtake Brian Bilbray, the incumbent Republican. Mm-hmm. And so this could be weeks as we watch that go. Yes. All right. As part of that discussion about uh, Republicans and how well they did in the community, we talked about the Assembly District 76. This is the northern part of the city of San Diego, you know, the kind of like the Rancho Penasquitos type area. Brian Mainshine uh, is the incumbent. He was a Republican. He became a Democrat, and the Democrats have rallied around him since then. He is now down in the latest count. He has 49.6% of the vote, and Christy Bruce Lane has uh, 50.3% or 50.4% of the vote. So... The Republican, Christy Bruce Lane, has a real opportunity there to take the assembly seat now that uh, Democrats were able to protect their two-thirds majority. So it's not as big of a deal, but it is a seat, and he has future political aspirations, and it matters. Yeah, so this is, in at this point, now familiar territory for Mainshine, although he was a Republican in 2018, but that race, his re-election, which he eventually prevailed in and then changed parties to a Democrat. Uh, He was challenged by a Democrat named Sunday Gover, who uh, that race became so close. You had people monitoring the the ballot counting for weeks after that. Um, He held on. This time he would have to claw back and and stay ahead. Uh, But yes, he is is now losing. Correct. All right. The last one I wanted to highlight, we also talked about this as part of the maybe Republicans hadn't done so well. This was the Senate District, State Senate District 38. The mayor of Encinitas, Catherine Blakespear, is running, and she did really well, again, in the vote in San Diego County and was up significantly against her opponent, Republican businessman Matt Gunderson. However, mm-hmm. as the Orange County vote came in, again, more conservative, 
Uh, it flipped a little bit, not all the way. She is up 50.3% to his 49.7%. Again, very tight. Hard to make a call there, and it's going to be weeks. Again, that, that is like overlapping largely with the 49th district. Yes. So it would be fair to say that those two are in the same situation or very similar situations. Orange County, not into San Diego Democrats. Correct. Well, although Mike Levin lives in Orange oh, County. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Let's go to Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. So let's go. John McCann. Hopping on the 805, headed south. Yes. <laughs> John McCann, Republican. Excuse me. Headed on the, on the blue line, headed yeah, south. Right. <laughs> right. Just like six people at Circulate San Diego just got so mad. <laughs> John McCann, Republican, city councilman, has 55% of the vote. Amar Campanajar has 45. He has declined to comment since the race came out. He's not willing to concede yet, waiting for the latest update to come. Mm-hmm. But 10 points is not easy to overcome, no matter how the trend goes. We will see how that goes. But let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. So, Andy, yeah, Scott. this this is part of a, a thing you've been working on about how well Republicans did in some of these municipal elections. Yes, so they won this municipal election, and like uh, Democrats outnumber Republicans in Chula Vista like two to one. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not close. Now there's a, a large group of independents, yeah, that go back and forth. Right, they're not part of either party. So, and I think there are, um, and so in any case, but there are a lot more Democrats than there are Republicans. And that's the first thing Amar Kampanajar would tell people about, hey, how's it going, Amar? And he'd say, well, you know, lots of Democrats here. I think it's going to be, it's going to be pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but John McCann won. Um, in Escondido, where there are more Democrats than Republicans, though not nearly to that extent, um, Paul McNamara lost his reelection bid. Is it? Pretty clear. Well, I I suppose it looks like he will lose his reelection bid. Uh, the vote count on that as we await this uh, latest update. Um, so Dane White has a fifty one point six two percent of the vote to Paul McNamara's forty eight point three percent of the vote. Yeah, just a difference of six hundred votes there out of twenty thousand or so cast. So it's it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that McNamara could could claw back there. Um, but uh, there, there's that. Uh, in Imperial Beach, uh, the vote is, I think it's like 30 votes. Um, in Imperial Beach, Paloma Aguirre has uh, 42.3% of the vote. It's a crowded field. Shirley Nakawatasi has, apologies on the pronunciation there if I did not get that right. Um, she has 41.7% of the vote. They are separated by, yes, um, 23 votes. Yeah. Um, now, it's a small city, so like, you know, that, that that's still enough to be a potentially, <laughs> potentially something. But so Imperial Beach, if Shirley is the Republican there. She could win. Um, Republicans won seats for the city council or appear to have won seats for the city council in Carlsbad and in La Mesa. Um, in National City, um, Ron Morrison, we talked about that. Has seems to have prevailed over two Democrats. Democrats are uh, have a four to one advantage, nearly four to one advantage in National City. Um, now, 
Ron is not a Republican. He's an independent who is right of center. Um, so all to say, in these smaller cities, and some of these are hard to even call smaller cities, Chula Vista is the second largest city in the county. Escondido is the fourth largest city in the county. But in these smaller cities, in these city halls, Republicans did very well. Yeah. Andrea, one of the people on the Twitter um, said something to the effect of like, hey, somebody should do a story about why Amar Kampanajar loses all these races. Mm -hmm. And my response was, this doesn't seem that mysterious to me. One, he ran in very difficult congressional races for a Democrat. The, 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 40, the 50th congressional district is the most conservative in the state, in many, if, if you look at it in right angle. And he ran in that as a Democrat, and he lost, and then he lost again. And then he tried to run in Chula Vista, where he didn't have an established image as a community leader, and he wanted to be the mayor. Mm-hmm. Like if that's regardless of what you know roots you have as a child or family in a community, to be a city's mayor, you need to establish your bona fides there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't it doesn't seem like he's a uniquely unqualified candidate. It seems like he he's picked some really tough races. Yeah, I think like obviously really hurt him. But with a lot of the residents that I've spoken to and just people in general, every time he was brought up, it was like, well, I kind of knew he was running in East County. And when when you think of Chula Vista, like Chula Vista is big on community and big on, you know, it is a big city. So you can't compare it to like National City. But like in essence, the people who live there are big on who who is a leader in their community, who's a leader in their city. It's a, yeah, they have a lot of pride. Yeah, Chula Vista yeah. Pride, I mean, right? I talked about it, like when I talked about my story, like people have tattoos of Chula Vista and like Third Avenue stuff. And it's really interesting. But like, I think with Amar, people were confused with like, what are his intentions? Why does he care about Chula Vista? He doesn't give us like Chula Vista vibes. You know, like he doesn't seem like he's from Chula Vista, like the way he acts, the way he carries himself. Mm. And so how... How could he lead our, our city as someone who, you know, hasn't been around in the way that you would want to be around? Perhaps if he ran for city council first or something else, right? It does seem like, maybe this is taking too much liberty, but it does seem like there was a general suspicion among the electorate about ballot measures that they wondered where they came from or, mm-hmm. you know, candidates that they felt like weren't. Uh, connecting or authentic or something. There just seems like a general suspicion over the land about what was being sold. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's, the thing with Amar, if you go back to, I guess 2018 was the first time he ran, right? In the 50th district. If you like rewind the tape to then, for a long while, he was not being written about in any local publication but he had an ability to get coverage nationally yeah. because mm-hmm. he came from D.C. And so there was like a lot of like, if there's really a blue wave anti-Trump yeah. backlash, we'll be able to tell because this, uh, you know, th- this guy, this very liberal guy will be able to beat the, at win a, the most conservative district in, in uh, California, whereas like local reporters sort of were like, oh, well, he'll not win that. Yeah. And he was ignored until 
it ended up like all of that attention ended up forcing local reporters to start paying attention to him in yeah. some ways, like made him like a, a national phenomenon to some extent. And he did come like sort of close in that wave, right? Like he, he, he it, w- it was certainly like, oh, wow. Like imagine if we, people had taken it seriously, yeah. you know, like I remember talking to local Democratic operatives who were like, well, we had just been conceding that race for the last decade. Yeah, and then like imagine and, if we had been organized there already, or yeah. stuff like that, you know. Yeah, and then Duncan Hunter explodes, Explode. and he's still there, and he's still there, and he, he thinks maybe this is the opening I needed, mm-hmm. and Daryl Issa was able to like shut that down pretty quick. So, all that said, like, the, yeah, that was never a race that like the savvy outsider or the savvy observer would have thought a Democrat was going to win. Right. So, place. so the question. So, there's this, and then he moves to Chula Vista, and it's like, well, that seems suspicious right away. And it did. Now you're going somewhere where you think you're going to win, which is like far from the fiftieth congressional district, right? Like, uh, there's this idea in politics that you can't lose three times or you're done. I don't know that that's true. Like, I I think if you look at somebody like Nathan Fletcher, he lost the mayor's race twice. Uh, after winning assembly, he was in the assembly. He runs for mayor twice and he loses. And everybody's like, you do it again, you're out. He was able to run for supervisor. He gets in. It does seem like this is the kind of guy who could you know, get his stuff together, decide on a more realistic goal and and pull it off. But I also don't think he wants to be like a city councilman or something. He wants to like go far. Well, presumably, if he wanted to be a city councilman or if he wanted to to show the people of Chula Vista that uh, he really is of their ilk, he may have an immediate opportunity. Yeah, because there is going to be a special election for a city council mm-hmm. seat. Yeah, because Steve Padilla, the councilman there, won and he did his insist quite a bit that he wanted to grow his family in Chula Vista. We'll see if that so sticks. We'll see. We are going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Okay, let's run through a couple of other notable races, and we'll stop again and digress. But first, uh, Jordan Marks in the assessor race is up now more significantly than he was before. He's up 52 to 48 over Barbara Bree, the Democrat running for assessor recorder clerk. I know that Lopez is <laughs> cannot look away from that one. Uh, another one of interest. So we talked on 
Tuesday night about the uh, the race for school board, the San Diego Unified School Board, the coastal C is district. For coast. C is for coast. Uh, Republican Becca Williams versus Democrat Cody Pedersen. Mm -hmm. Very distinct ideologies and uh, sort of approaches to education in that race. And at first, Cody Pedersen had a very significant lead. And that mm -hmm. has shrunk, not insignificantly, it's still pretty solidly in his camp. But it, she is down now 53-47. So he has, again... He has the definite advantage. It seems like it depends on how this trend of, of late votes goes. But if they are more on the left, then he should be fine. But if they close uh, on the right, then she will make it really interesting over the next few days. Yeah, it's become close enough that at the very least, he's going to have to sweat it out for a little while. Next up, Measure C. We talked about this. This is the height limit uh, in the Midway area. It is up, as in yes, is winning but only by like 630 votes or something. 630 votes. Out of 210,000 cast, it's just barely above 50% right now. And so again, I have no idea where the late votes are going to break on that. Me neither. If, if uh, it, we'll, we'll know uh, Thursday afternoon just how viable it is. Same thing for Measure B, the trash, special trash fee. Um, on collection of trash in the city of San Diego on city-maintained streets. You'd have to pay a special fee if it passes. It is down. No is winning. But just by 2,000 votes out of 210,000 cast. Again, super close there. Any thoughts still on the on what we're going to... Did gonna... these switch places from no. the first results that no. we got? Same, same. And in fact, the Measure B, although Measure C's lead narrowed, considerably mm -hmm. measure b's like has really not changed much at all yeah um the I, I think the no side grew a little bit but it like it, it's a very small change either way i think that people will be happy if they want this change with measure b if they're part of the institutions that want to see things change i think they'll be happy with this result not because it, they they probably wanted the city to charge for trash and mm -hmm. and either fix the inequity or make the money that you know can help the city do more things and pay those employees more, but I think that they'll be stoked that it was that close, like fifty fifty in a more conservative electorate is pretty big deal for something people thought was untouchable. You know, I talked to somebody who said something along those lines, so certainly there are people out there who feel that way. It's a little surprising to me, though, because uh, I think even like, well, it was close during a conservative electorate. So, like, let's go back at it is unless it's a convention center expansion, people get gun shy after something lose one time. Yeah, no, that's you know? why I keep saying you have one <laughs> chance to <laughs> unless, slip. Unless it's a convention center expansion, in which case, like, you will run full speed into that wall as many times as the people around you will allow you to run full speed into the wall. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens with that. But yeah, that's true. And I also have been working on that theory. Like, you have one chance to slip something in. Yeah. And just as we saw with the height limit, now it's a lot closer. So we'll see if they try again. What do you think would happen in a world, let's say, if both of these don't pass? Uh, yeah, I mean, that like... That's the way things are now. So... It, I, this, I mean... No sports arena. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the world we live in right now. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. It would be the same. Do you remember how life was yesterday? <laughs> It'll be a lot like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it would say something because 
Here's what I would think. In, 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 <laughs> so what's the point of these? Yeah. What, <laughs> what I would say about if both of these go to no um, okay. is it was a the, this whole cycle almost was a lost opportunity for City Hall to do something. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a time a year and a half ago where people were debating like five or six ballot measures. And there were four big ones. There was the trash yeah. fee. There was a stormwater fee. So they would add a parcel tax to every yep. um, property in San Diego. There was a the trash and there was a parks and rec fee, uh, a parcel fee or a, or a property tax to pay for park and park activities. And um, although this wouldn't have come from City Hall per se, the measure for a transit tax. Right. Right. So like if you are the council president, if you are the mayor, like you have a finite number of years to pass whatever policies it is that you support to build the city that you want to build, whether that's like passing tax measures for new spending initiatives or for Republicans passing pension reform and uh, anti-PLA measures. Like your opportunities to build a policy platform and legacy are finite. You are only in office for so long and many things in this state need to be done on the ballot and you only have so many elections. And so like I think of it as this is the t- this was the opportunity for Mayor Gloria to put together some big policies in the first in his first term. 2 years from now he's going to be running for re-election. Now maybe he'll he'll want to run alongside some things and he'll put some up. Um Shawnee Lo Rivera will be running for re-election then too. Maybe he'll do the same, but like I would think you'd want some things under your belt or even if you don't like well you only get like three elections during your term to to like pass stuff let, and they just lost one. Let let me ask you this. So let's talk about Todd Gloria. He's, he's the leader of the city of San Diego. If you look at this election, where do you see him most present in articulating and supporting a cause or a candidate? Measure well it it would have been these two things and and measure D. I I didn't see him present on measure C. No, I didn't see him present on measure C. And I didn't see him present on measure B. I did see him present on measure D. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so measure D was the labor one that's mm-hmm. easily passed. And, um, and so, yes, I hear you screaming members of the, the labor community who are saying like missed opportunity to pass an agenda. What about measure D? They, they, you know, re- repealed this thing. Yes. I, yes, that's true. That was a thing that was done this year. Yeah. But, but on the two, very different initiatives that would have had a pretty significant impact on things in San Diego mm-hmm. and on his ability to do more with more revenue. And symbolically on like a willingness to challenge old San Diego orthodoxy. And on his plan for housing. He yes. keeps bringing up the sports arena <laughs> right. development as a key part of his plan for housing and an accomplishment already. Like part of he, his homelessness. Initiative. He was yeah. not present. In that discussion, and he did not, he did not. I didn't. I don't remember any press conferences the way I remember them for the convention center one. I don't remember any sort of you know going in there trying to make the case, articulating for you know property owners there. Did he rally the property owners to to donate more than the sports arena guy? Did he? What did he do for Measure C if it's this close to get it over? If it's that big of a part of his agenda, Measure B. These are these are things like it's like. Do you want? The, remember when he wouldn't even signal that he wanted the support to support the the transit tax 
that they were going to put forward. He would barely. He he basically tweeted a photo one time that he signed it. Well, and no, and, he didn't tweet. Yeah, it. they did. Yeah, they did. And, and it, it, was, it was like on a Saturday morning. It was that was the indication that he had, and it was that he signed it. It wasn't like an endorsement. Yeah. So yeah. these are the biggest things, like you said, to define what he is able to do with the city, what resources he has, and what tools he has to do something with the city that he leads. Yeah. And he's absent. The most prominent per- public official for Measure C was Chris Kate. Yeah. Chris. And the most pom- prominent official for Measure B was Shawnee Rivera. Yeah. And, and exactly. And and they were the ones that were always willing to debate, always willing to make the case, raise money. Chris Kate had a whole fund for Measure C that he he was identified as, you know, the leader of. And Shawnee Rivera was the leader of a committee that was both B and C. And directly involved in, in all of the efforts to try to get it together. And so I'm just like, well, what are we doing? Like, why are, why, why should anybody else care about it if the mayor doesn't care about it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and now they're both, they're both like right on there. Now there's, and there's, and yet there is a, just as there's a scenario in which they both fail, there's absolutely a scenario in which they both succeed. Yes. Mm-hmm. But if it's that yeah. close, I, I can hear somebody in my head saying like, well, maybe he doesn't help them if he gets involved, right. and that's the. And I'm like, well, that's an indictment. Like well, that doesn't well, seem like I, particularly what I was, like positive on his leadership right now. Well, what I was thinking, which I guess is related to what you said, is that his his uh, contribution was choosing the developer that was that's going to lead the sports arena redevelopment and. You know, getting the city council to approve that, getting city staff to to make that decision, and then that group, that um, developer, f- in large part funded the but campaign. Isn't that classic? It's like, ba- it's like it's isn't that a classic sort of take on the city that that keeps coming up? Is that hey, we did all these things. I'm sorry you did, but you didn't do the last thing. Yeah, needed to get it over. Yeah, we did all these. That's not an accomplishment until it's an accomplishment right and it's like now you, there's a 600 vote margin and maybe it, it works out but yeah. but you really couldn't do more to get that over the hump because it was like so crucial because you're willing to do all that work that's going to mean nothing if this doesn't pass nothing yeah it all it all gets thrown out millions of dollars of effort and 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 thousands of hours of city time and stupid podcast hours that we've put into it are all worthless. <laughs> well, it be it starts it be if it fails here, it so becomes like the convention center thing. Exactly. Where like it's a San we'll Diego special. Back, we'll go back to the fact that they're appealing the ruling. Yeah. And like that'll be it's like, well, sure we lost, but like we won in twenty twenty and like just wait, the appeals court will side with us. Yeah. And then or there's like this interpretation of the state density bonus law, which we don't need to get into, but there's like a version of events where you could maybe rejigger the pr- development project to use that to build it. And yeah. like, maybe you start hearing them make that case. And it's like, that would, I mean, uh, that's just no, like, I, time I is just a flat pick, circle. And I just I'm covering it. it's, the 2032, it's 2032. It's 2032. <laughs> and I'm doing a podcast <laughs> and, and I'm going to be like, there's going to be some young co-host with me. And I'll be like, you know, they voted on this twice. Like, <laughs> 15 years ago or something and he and she'd be like well, well that's wild why did they have to do it twice I'm like, let me explain yeah <laughs> scott just waits for moments where he can explain yes stuff. that's true 
Uh, He's already looking into the future yeah. for what he can explain. I, or I'm how booking about, 2032. I, I mean, the other scenario. October. <laughs> things I want to explain <laughs> in 2032. This is going to be measure why <laughs> yeah. sports, sports arena. The, the other scenario that's delicious, it, that would be delicious, is that this passes. There's already a lawsuit challenging that this too didn't do enough. Oh my God. And that the 2020 out. measure is at the appeals court. This measure is is being sued here locally. Uh, you know, and we start getting into chaotic. Well, that one's winning. This one's losing. Which one prevails now? Yeah, I do have. I do wonder if it's not if for the sports bros, if it, they wouldn't prefer that this fails, mm-hmm. and then no new sports arena gets built that's like inadequate for big sports, and then the city's forced to figure out a different place for an actual sports arena to be built, and then bigger. Mm-hmm. Where we there still won't be an NBA or an NHL team ever because neither of those leagues have any interest in this market. They've made that abundantly clear. All right, lastly, let's get into this one. National City, we talked about it earlier. Uh, Ron Morrison is winning. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's in the driver's seat to become the next mayor. The former mayor, who is now the next mayor of National City, now Lopez, he was the one of the guys, if not the guy, who pushed the big low riding ordinance that we've been talking about at, at length on this mm-hmm. show back in the nineties. Right? He said, like, this is something we should do. There's mm-hmm. too many cruising events going on. It's 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 caused problems in our city. And now he's like, yeah, I should have. You know, maybe we should change that now, but it still hasn't happened. Does this debate change now or is it still going to be dragging on? So I think we're in in a, well, it's a different situation, I think. But uh, yeah, in 1992, Ron Morrison was um, spoke in favor of of the city council voting on this ordinance. He was just a public speaker. Yeah. So he just spoke in favor. I think when we asked him about it on the podcast, he was like, he described it as like, yeah, it was very chaotic. Like, uh, what did he say? It's like National City is not equipped for like a, um, like national a Western uh, yeah, Western, Western US <laughs> Western event. US event, uh, which is not not true, I guess. Right? Yeah. Small I mean, city, small police department. Although you know, at uh, Manhattan levels of density, the entire United States of America could live in San Diego County. It's a good piece of trivia. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, what a nerd. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but I think this will be interesting. So I I do think Jose caught up with him after we got a second round of votes. I think from when we recorded on Tuesday, um, Ron had a little bit of a bigger lead. But I think we have to consider the council makeup this time around, and perhaps if you can get enough support on the council to you know get the lowrider ban back in discussion, I think maybe they might be able to do it. But they still have the issue where they'd have to separate the cruising ban from cruising events, yeah. right? They obviously have an event problem and they have a cruising and long-term history mm-hmm. discrimination problem. Mm-hmm. They're separate. Mm-hmm. Figure out one, if you need to regulate events better, then regulate events better. Which is interesting because San Jose lifted its cruising ban, and that was really only by watching what happened in National City, how closely their discussions became about the ban 
and their ability to control large events. San Jose said, we're not even going to talk about events. We'll talk about events when events happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're just going to lift this bad law that, that we have on the books. Imagine that. All right. Lastly, I'm going to plug. I did. A, I wrote up my Audacity of Jen Campbell piece uh, about the campaign that she ended up running and how the case for her is also the case against her. And the case for her is that she doesn't care what people think. Mm-hmm. And that's the case against her too. And the case for her, I don't think won, except that they were able to win the race despite it. You know what I mean? Like, so she, she, I think looks at, she's at 55, 45 right now for an incumbent running as a Democrat in a very heavy Democrat district. Mm -hmm. And she, um, she only really prevailed and prevailed that decisively because she was running against a Republican. And the only reason she's running against a Republican is because her allies ran a campaign for that Republican to prevail in the, in the primary so that that would be how this dynamic played out. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's going to make her, her yet another, I think, interesting um, city council person for the next four years. Do, does she contribute to some of these bigger things that she has before, like the regulation of vacation rentals, the vending ordinance, the um, height limit change in Midway? Or, uh, or was that all a product of being the council president for a year and now she's just going to be uh, a city council person? I think that's just something to watch. Thanks for listening to the Voice San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this studio in San Diego with special election night podcasts. It's the most popular version of those podcasts that exist. Keep up with our election coverage and all of our reporting. With the morning report I just mentioned, it's our most popular product. You can get it at vosd.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is managing editor. Andre Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. And Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.